Well, good morning. I was sure encouraged by uh, being a part of the worship here. I, we have to think sometimes of how God is praised and pleased as we sing together in worship. And uh, uh, it, it, this morning was one of those times, I know, for, for myself and for, for our Lord. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings 15. In our Bibles here, that would be page 305. Sometimes as Christians, it can be, of course, discouraging to see how sin seems to be winning, and we make an assumption then that somehow God is losing, and He never is, okay? And it's so important that we celebrate God's victorious work in many, even while it may be that most are living captive to sin. Our, our study today of King Jotham is one of those lives that we need to celebrate and imitate. Um, he's like Noah, kind of, in that he stood out in his generation. Uh, Jotham stood out as godly in a long list of kings we've been studying that were, were either very evil or started out well and then uh, failed somehow. Jotham stands out, and I think his story is very uh, refreshing to us. Uh, I've always liked the title of a book on the Christian life by Eugene Peterson, entitled simply, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Doesn't that capture it? A long obedience in the same direction. The Christian life is simple, not easy, but the Christian life is simple in that it's a long obedience in the same direction. I think Jotham is, is that example. Let's catch up a little bit with our uh, geography since we haven't been uh, in, the, in the book here for a number of weeks. Of course, uh, the nation of Israel, this is 750 B.C., actually where Jotham first begins to uh, rule. But the nation is divided. He's the king of Jerusalem. And what the book of 2 Kings does is it, it hopscotches back and forth between the kings of the north, called Israel, and the kings of the south, which was called Judah, because of the dominant of those two tribes down there, Judah and Benjamin. Um, so 2 Kings 15 is no exception. And uh, we find in 2 Kings 15, first of all, the story of Uzziah, which we studied maybe a month ago. Then we looked at, kind of in just a brief form, this, this chapter goes through five evil kings, some of them very short reigns, uh, after King Uzziah story in the beginning of the chapter. Then we have these five evil kings of Israel. And now we get to the end of chapter 15 to Jotham, who is Uzziah's son. And really both Uzziah and Jotham had some really strong uh, spiritual traits, of course, with some problems on Uzziah's side. So let's read verses 32 to 35, first of all. In the second year of Pekah, son of Remaliah, that's one of those kings of Israel, Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. His mother's name was Jerusha, daughter of Zadok. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That would be the, the key phrase. Just as his father Uzziah had done. The high places, however, were not removed 
the people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Jotham rebuilt the upper gate of the temple of the Lord. 2 Kings 15 is going to give just some basic facts, while 2 Chronicles is going to fill us in a little bit more on some of the spiritual insights about both Uzziah and Jotham. But the first principle that maybe is not completely obvious here right now, though, is that Jotham imitated his dad's good example, but refused to repeat his bad example. Second Kings doesn't mention it here, but uh, the first part is clear. He did what was right, like dad. But the reality is that his dad did what was right for the first season of his life, and his dad Uzziah reigned 52 years, the first 40-ish. He really lived godly. So, you, you, so Jotham grew up with a, a great example of godliness until later in life is when Uzziah fell. We'll see in Second Chronicles he became proud, and that's when he made this horrible, uh, uh, blatant sin of deciding that he had the right, like a priest, to offer incense in the holy place of the temple. And the law very clearly said he should not. And when he was rebuked, he, he did not even stop. He just insisted on it because his heart had become proud. So that's kind of the, 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 the rest of the story of Uzziah, but those first 40 years, he had a great, uh, great example for his son, Jotham. Well, what else do we see here and then in verse 35 about the people? So Jotham was living godly, but what about the people? The people were still worshiping on the high places. Those are the hills throughout Judea that the pagans would use to worship. And there was this draw to worship like the pagans worshiped. And I'm pretty sure that the Israelites would have said, well, we're going there to worship the true God. But some time ago we looked at this principle that when we as believers go where unbelievers go, we end up doing what unbelievers do. Specifically, if we go places where unbelievers are typically sinning, it's no big surprise how that draws us in. So we have to be careful where we go. This seemed to be really pulling down the spiritual life of Judah. So Jotham is a godly king trying to do what's right, ruling over a people who were going the other direction and were not following the Lord. So it's that tension that, that we all feel so many times as believers, if you're really seeking to follow the Lord, but we're in some natural environments, you can't avoid work, school, etc., where people are not following the Lord. And then sometimes even those that we thought were, more people, maybe church people, are not following the Lord. And so we, we feel this tension of, of, I'm trying to do what's right, but someone else is not. We'll get a little more info here in Second Kings. Uh, in verse 36, as for the other events of Jotham's reign and what he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? Other non-biblical records we don't have. But verse 37 says, in those days the Lord began to send Rezin, king of Aram, that's a neighboring nation to Israel to the north, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, against Judah. Pekah was the king of Israel, one of those five bad kings. And they begin to oppose Israel, but before then Jotham died, verse 38. But notice that God activated some of these political, military threats 
against Jotham, even while Jotham was godly and trying to lead the nation. But there's this inevitability that there are consequences, sometimes to believers, of other people's sins. And Jotham could not avoid some of that experience and feeling that pressure. We in America will experience some of the consequences of other people's sin. It's really unavoidable. It happens all the time in families, right? You know, kids will suffer the consequences of, of moms and dads' sins. It's just, it's just part of, of how a, a sinful world uh, functions. The, the refreshing good news, though, is Pastor Seth uh, noted last week, 2 Peter 2.9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. And the example there was how, how God rescued a lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah, which were so evil. So, so basically, we get the, the bare facts in 2 Kings 15. The nation of Judah is really spiraling downward spiritually. Uh, God is beginning to bring some consequences on the nation. Uh, but most importantly, Jotham is holding the line, seeking to live godly in God's sight. So the key phrase uh, here is verse 34. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That, that's, a, that's a powerful statement. He did what was right because he was living vertically. He cared about what God saw. Uh, first core application is this, that we, godliness begins by caring what God sees, which means we can care a lot less about what people see. In uh, the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, Paul said, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. That's an amazing statement right there, that God's going to praise us. I can think of no greater reward than that. But, but, but key here is understanding that, that what you see and what is real is not the same. We get that with social media, right? We, we try to always present our very best, craft an image, hiding our faults, uh, maybe impressing others with how good we are. Uh, but, but the thing that matters is the motives, and God sees that, these invisible things called motives. And that's at the core of who we are. So, so it, it, it urges us that we, we don't need to impress other Christians. We've got to be careful about imitating other Christians. We need to get personal in our relationship with God because God is the one who sees our motives. And that, that's, really, that's really good news because then we can just focus on, is God pleased with what I am doing, what I am thinking, and what my motives are? If God is pleased with how we spend our time, how we're wrestling with those tensions, that's what matters. If God is pleased with our entertainment choices or hobbies, that's what matters. If God is pleased with how we uh, are seeking to manage the money that is all his and he provides, then, then that's what matters. And, and God is, is so much better at uh, shaping our lives than other Christians. Always be aware 
God is always aware of you. We live in his sight. And Jotham seemed to capture that and go, yes, I am, I am living in the sight of God. And we'll see that actually repeated now in another way as we come to Second Chronicles. So turn with me now for the rest of our study to the supplemental version of the, the life of Jotham, Jotham in Second Chronicles 27 or page 364. Uh, this, it's a tiny chapter, really nine verses, Second Chronicles 27, but it's all about Jotham. And uh, the first verse is basically the same as what we saw in Second Kings, uh, who he was, how long he reigned, including the statement now at the beginning of verse 2, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. But then it adds something significant. Just as his father Uzziah had done, but unlike him, he did not enter the temple of the Lord. Or you may have the word accept that or however that. He, so he did what he followed the good example of his dad. But he learned from the bad example where dad failed horribly. And the backstory of that, which we studied some time ago, now chapter 26, 16. But after Uzziah, that's his dad, after Uzziah became powerful his pride led to his downfall. That's it. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And then verse 17 and 18 say how these 80 priests confront him and say, no, no, don't do that. But verse 19, Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. You become angry when you're confronted about sin? That means you're digging in. He became angry, and while he was raging at the priests in their presence before the altar of incense in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead, and he lived out the rest of his years a leper, living in quarantine, incapacitated as king, and that's why Jotham, his son, had to step in at age 25 and become uh, the king. But the significant thing is to realize here in verse 2 that Jotham imitated his dad's good example, but not his arrogance. Can you discern when a spiritual mentor, uh, leader, Christian you've admired should be followed or should not be followed? That's discernment. Because no one that you follow humanly or has helped you spiritually is perfect. So can you make those discernments? The core issue here is pride. Can you recognize prevailing pride? We all have the disease, okay? Can, can you see when it's dominating someone? It began to dominate Uzziah 26, 16. That's why he did what he shouldn't do. That's why he didn't stop when people told him. And that's why he got angry and defended it. Because his pride would not allow him to let go of what he thought he had the right to do. Pride, insisting that we are right, is the spiritual cancer of our souls. And Uzziah had it bad. Cancer, of course, is a terrible disease. Unfortunately, it's a good illustration of how pride can grow 
undetected for a long time. And sometimes people will ignore the symptom of pride for a long time until something, something cracks, something breaks. Cancer caught early is much more treatable. Pride caught early is more likely sanctified. If we are living with an awareness, pride will be my problem. Don't let it catch you just late in life. In the last several years, it just seems like the list is growing exponentially of uh, spiritual, well-known spiritual leaders, virtually Christian celebrities, who have been uh, disgraced, uh, removed, stepping down because of ethical or moral or uh, failures or, or, or cover-ups or just plain arrogant, harsh leadership and, and finally people are standing up to them. Men who've had great impact spiritually. Frankly, God used them to bring people into the faith and, and grow and many good things that, that hopefully continue to last, but personally then they fall. This reminds me of, of Uzziah. Pride. Jotham's dad never willingly addressed his pride until he faced the misery of pride's consequences. Can you discern when a, a, someone you have followed is not following God. The example here is parenting. Jotham figured it out. I can follow this about dad, not that. Here's the tricky thing about growing up in a Christian home. I grew up in a wonderful Christian home, tried to lead our family. Christian, I love Christian homes. I mean, when you see Young people studying the Word of God in our classes, same time mom and dad are studying. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a great foundation. God uses that. But here's the tricky thing, I think, about growing up at a Christian home. Kids don't start out with a discernment to know this is mom or dad walking by the Spirit. This is mom and dad living by the flesh. They don't get that. So they imitate everything. Scares us sometimes, right? You hear a word that you've only used a few times, but here they said it, and you know where it came from, and, or you see an attitude, or you, you see a, a selfishness, and then when you get real honest, you go, yeah, I've been that way too. They don't have the discernment yet to realize what is sin and what is not. Then come the teen years. I think the underlying struggle for many teens who grew up in Christian homes comes when they start to realize the weight. That's right what they do, but this is wrong. And so the first thought is hypocrisy. And that just kind of tears at their soul. And Now, we know we sin. The problem is when we pretend we don't. We do our kids no favors by pretending we don't. Our children don't need perfect parents. Our children need humble parents who admit it when it's sin. The humility of admitting our sin to our kids 
enables them to develop discernment. Because if mom and dad are readily admitting this attitude, this anger, this decision was wrong and sinful, I'm sorry. Now the teen is developing the ability to say, oh, so some of what I'm doing is sinful too. But if we defend like everything we did was right, every decision we made, every attitude, every... Now we are hindering their ability to develop personal discernment and humility themselves. Yet, Jotham did it. Young Jotham figured it out because he began to realize, no, I have to walk in the eyes of the Lord. So it's really no excuse. Oh, my parents are hypocrites. Jotham figured it out and decided, I am going to live in the sight of the Lord. So my encouragement to any young person or younger Christian who begins to see something in mentors or parents or whatever is to say, you got to learn to follow the fruit of the Spirit but spit out the seeds. That is discernment. That is growing maturity. Jotham did it. He chose to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, not just in the eyes of Dad. The people, however, verse 2, continued their corrupt practices, alluding to what we saw in 2 Kings, worship in the high places, etc. So Jotham um, was not like the people around him. Seeing what Jotham did right and the people did wrong, you might want to blame Jotham the king as if it's saying that's his fault. I don't, I don't know it's saying it's his fault. I, think, I don't think Jotham at this point could change his nation's spiritual trajectory. He could only change his own focus to live in God's sight. And that's, that's got to be where we settle, where we say, I am, this is how I'm going to live, regardless of what others are doing. An application. If we have to learn how to live different from family, friends, even Christian friends, because we are focused on pleasing God. Um, as a Jewish young man, I'm sure that uh, Jotham, in those early days of his dad's life, began to learn about the absolutes of life. Those pagan neighbors, they worship idols. We don't do that. We worship the one true God. They believe this, we follow the law of God. They, they, they understood the absolutes. I think that's the first level of discernment, and frankly, probably most Christian families do a pretty good job of that when kids are young. Oh, that's wrong. We don't do that. This is what God says. Discernment goes deeper. Discernment means we begin to develop the ability to make personal conviction choices. We sometimes talk about absolutes, convictions, and preferences, different kinds of differences. Convictions are important. We develop convictions personally because we begin to sense how God is guiding us personally to make decisions that help us in our, in our, in our purity or in our ethics or on our wisdom about, about money or marriage or, 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 or whatever it might be. But if we develop convictions to please God in a family and trying to teach our kids, you've got to develop convictions, we will find ourselves needed to make choices different 
not just from that awful, sinful, pagan world, but choices that are different from Christians in our church and youth group and small group. And it's okay. You don't judge the other Christians for making conviction choices, but you begin to develop what is a personal walk with God. That's what Jotham had. That has to be our goal is, are we walking personally with God? That's what's going to transform a church, a marriage, a family, is people who are walking personally with God, not judging one another in convictions, but developing convictions. So fellowship is so important. This is worshiping together, singing together, learning God's word together, encouraging one another. We need the togetherness, but ultimately we have to understand how personal walking with God really is. I think that's what made the difference, as we'll see about Jotham. God had his hand of blessing on Jotham, verses 3 through 5. We see some of the things he accomplished. Verse 3, Jotham rebuilt the upper gate of the temple of the Lord and did extensive work on the wall at the hill of Ophel. He built towns in the Judean hills and forts and towers in the wooded areas. So in the capital city of Jerusalem, he did some rebuild and then he did some construction in the areas around. Here's a, here's a little map of ancient Jerusalem. Jerusalem is far bigger, but it's, it's just that little area. Uh, here's today's Jerusalem, and that's that original city of David that he conquered in 1 Samuel. And uh, so he, he just, he, he fixed some stuff. There was a, a northern wall close to the temple, and there's this wall by Ophel, and he says, I got to fix these things. Earlier we read about how uh, one time the northern nation of Israel came against them and, and, and blew out a 600-foot section of the wall. It's probably this section that, that he's helping to rebuild at this point. So Jotham fixed things that were broken. Uh, Proverbs 24 talks about the, the lazy guy whose vineyard is full of thorns and, and weeds and his stone wall was falling down, not Jotham. There's something, uh, there's something good and godly about maintaining property that God gives us. Jotham's a hardworking king, and, and he's not in a spiritual leadership role. He's not, he's not a prophet priest kind of thing. He, he, he's a king, and he uses his position to get good things done. What else uh, he got done is verse 5. Jotham made war on the king of the Ammonites and conquered them. And that year the Ammonites paid him a hundred talents of silver, 10,000 cores of wheat and 10,000 cores of barley. The Ammonites brought him the same amount also in the second and third years. So for some three years here, he, he defeated this, this uh, enemy uh, to the east and uh, they paid tribute. So he blessed his, his nation financially. So uh, the Ammonites were basically over here and so Jotham takes his army and defeats them and kind of gets rid of that threat. And uh, as a result, they get this hundred talents of silver. That's about four tons of silver. And all this uh, wheat and barley, it's about 62,000 bushels. A semi-trailer holds about a thousand uh, bushels of grain. So 62,000 semi-loads. What a blessing to the nation during those days. God's hand was was on him. And, and so we'd look at that and say, wow, he was successful because he worked hard. Yes. 
He was successful because he had the courage to go fight the enemy. Yes. But verse 6 tells us what we really need to know. Jotham grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. God chose to bless him uh, materially because of his faithfulness. And these were just some examples of his might and power. Verse 7 says the other events, including the other things he did that are written elsewhere. So this, he just gave us a sample. But God decided to bless him. Now, whether or not today we are going to receive material blessings and uh, that, in that way, we, we aren't promised that. But God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, the writer of Hebrews assures us. Because, and this is where we need to focus this, this phrase, he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. Some of you have the phrase, ordered or directed his ways before the Lord his God. Let's think about that phrase, starting at the back and then uh, moving to this key phrase, walking steadfastly. First of all, the Lord his God. Not simply the Lord God. The Lord his God. It was personal, wasn't it? Is God personal that, that, that someone who knows you best would say, yeah, the Lord, his, his God. Is God the first filter as you make decisions? When you lack wisdom, as James wrote, do you seek God or Google? Is he personally your master? When, when you think about what should I be doing, does the authority of God's word guide that for you? The Lord his God, and says so he walks steadfastly before the Lord his God, literally in his presence. He walks steadfastly in the presence of God. So it's really a synonym to this thing of in the eyes of. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because he just always thought of himself as I'm in the presence of God. Everything I do, God sees. And I, I, want, I want him to see everything about me. The good and the bad, because that's who I am. I have flesh and I have, I have spirit. John in the New Testament called it walking in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That's us and God, vertical fellowship. And the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. This is not talking about somehow attaining some kind of a, a sinlessness but rather a spiritual openness before God. God, you know all about me. You know everything and my motive. You know, you know just how deep the layers of sin go. And, and, and I want to just expose that to you. That's walking in the light. God's never surprised when we do that and, and there's sin. And he goes, oh my. He knew it. He knew every sin before we sinned it. He knows the sins you're going to sin 10 years from now. Not surprised. But if we walk in the light, we deal with that. And the blood that saved us, once and for all secured us, is also the power to forgive us as we walk in the light. And we have this relational fellowship forgiveness we were talking about a few weeks ago. A coach in sports or a teacher in a classroom always knows that students, they don't always get... 
What a coach or a teacher is looking for is, is a student who says, oh, I see, that's wrong. I'm growing. This is, I'm learning. And not someone who, who stubbornly, you know, puts their, their heels down. As many of you know, Priscilla's taught uh, piano for a couple of decades. And it's sometimes a little funny when you get an eight or nine-year-old saying, no, no, teacher, that's wrong. That's right. Trying to tell her what is the right note, you know. And yet that way, that's how we kind of get with God sometimes. He's our holy God. And we, we get stubborn like, no, I don't think that's wrong, God. God has to go, seriously. You're going to tell me what's right and wrong. Instead, walk in the light. Lord, I blew it. I know. I need your forgiveness. I know. You got it. It's covered. You see, God wants a relationship with us even more than we want a relationship with him. If you think about Judah at this time, the nation, how many people were really walking with God? Not very many. Can you imagine the delight God had in Jotham? The king, this king, is walking steadfastly before me. Can you, can you imagine the joy that brought to the Lord? So, if our world's anything like that, and it, and it is, imagine the delight that you can bring to God by living exceptionally. Now let's look at this central phrase. Walk steadfastly. Direct or order his way. There's two key terms in this phrase. If you have the word walk steadfastly or order, direct his way. There are two words. The first one is about direction. Jotham had a direction in his life. He's going this way. And the direction was related to the way or the road. These are, these are words that one needs the other. The direction of the road he was on. So Jotham had the direction or goal of pleasing God. And he did it his whole reign. If you look down in verse uh, 8, he was 25 when he became king. He reigned 16 years. Do the math. How long? He died at that point. He lived to be 41. Much of this room has exceeded that, right? Which only shows how urgent it is to start living this way. Walk steadfastly. He set the direction of his road. Almost everybody today uses a GPS or some kind of uh, uh, navigation device. Have you ever noticed that after you press start, your GPS is very stubborn about keeping you on the path? Uh, whoever Google hired to talk to me all the time, just never gives up. If I, if I make a wrong turn, my GPS has never said, forget you, I'm done. What does it say? Make a U-turn, turn right here, turn left here, recalculating. It just keeps on telling me you made a foolish, foolish turn. Fix it. Do this. And God is wonderfully stubborn with his kids. And so when you hear that voice, listen. 
Application questions. Have I set the direction of my life towards pleasing God alone? That's in your bulletin, but I've added the phrase, and press start. You know, at least on my Google Maps, when, when I said I'm going to go to whatever, it, it'll lay out the whole route. But it doesn't say a word to me until I press start. Anybody you realize that? Yeah. And I wonder if that's kind of like the way we are spiritually sometimes. We come together as a church, which is good, and we see the route. This is the right thing to do. Got it. Go to a Bible study. Got it. Even open the Bibles ourselves. Yep, got it. But we do not hear his voice until we press start. It's not about knowing the route. It's about beginning the route, continuing the route. So have I unequivocally set the direction of my heart and then pressed start. I, we have choices. Joshua 24, 15. Got to choose, guys. We're going into the promised land. Are you going to serve the gods where we're conquering people or the God who brought you here? Jesus always put things in those terms for his hearers. You can't serve God and money. Seriously, you can't. One of them is going to dominate the way you think. John uh, wrote, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So to the, sense, to the degree you love the world, you've just drained your love for God. Jotham understood this, and he didn't press start. Well, the people close to you who know you best say that you have fully committed yourself, that even though you make mistakes, you sin, that's, that's, you're, always, you're always hearing the changes. In my time with God and his word, do I recognize what he wants me to change to grow spiritually? Do you, do you hear his voice through your time in the word, your time in prayer? Is there the personal relationship? You might learn all about the route when you're with God's people, but in your walk with him, do you hear his voice saying, this, this is the wrong term, this is, this, is, this is the attitude I'm adjusting, this is where your pride is getting you into trouble, are we hearing his voice? Make a U-turn. Apologize. Stop. Turn again. Trust me. And I forgive you. Do we hear his voice? I'm thankful for Jotham. I'm thankful for all the Jothams here and may our church grow with more who are committed to a long obedience in the very same direction. Let's pray. Help us, Father, to think of you not as far off, but as very near. Help us to be aware of you like you are aware of us. Lord, we don't want to live our life in spurts of faithfulness. But we want to take a long walk of obedience to you and with you. Uh, Lord, you know every heart uh, in the room right now, those might be listening online, where, where you're speaking to us about a U-turn, a trust issue that is going to hurt our pride if we follow through. Help us to press start.
Help us to rely on your grace and forgiveness as the life-giving stream of strength spiritually to help us make those choices. In Jesus' name, amen.